0: And we're going to start with the 11th verse, going through the 21st verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 11 through 21. Today has been designated as Human Relations Sunday because it's the eve of this day where we honor this great pastor who has led our nations in bringing about reconciliation in our human relations, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. So we as a nation have been greatly impacted by this committed Christian pastor. It's uh, one of the most fascinating things of our modern history uh, that we have been able to bring about through nonviolence a whole new era of uh, relationship and possibility and justice together and reconciliation we, of course, have a long way to go. Uh, there is still great unrest in our nation, as we've experienced over the last uh, few months. And with the, throughout the world itself, we are, are not living together in peace, either within nations or between nations. Uh, we usually follow the, the Christian year rather than these types of human relations Sundays. There's all different types of designations that uh, different churches do. But we, as your pastor as we as we were talking together as a team about what we need to be talking about uh as a church, especially based on the events of Ferguson and New York and now paris, uh, these are exposing uh some ongoing uh racial and class and economic and religious uh power struggles. So we decided that today we would take uh, a moment to discuss God's guidance in this important and struggling area of our lives. And we're asking God to to speak to us, uh, to speak to us as a congregation, of course, but also to speak to us as the people of God. What is it that we can do to bring healing and not harm the harmony that God intends us uh, to have as a people? Now, I want to explain, just take a a little parenthetical moment here, uh, that I'm always a little uncomfortable with preaching in this style. This is called a topical sermon. Uh, When you begin with a topic and then you go to Scripture to give some kind of support to what it is that you believe that uh, needs to be said, there are many inherent difficulties in that. We tend to go to the source then, and we tend to choose Uh, Texts that speak uh, of the issue in the ways that we uh, want to speak of it rather than allowing the Scriptures themselves to speak. And so this topical time is a time when pastors might choose uh, some various subjects and then go to Scripture. What most pastors do is we actually go to the Bible first and we say, okay, what is God wanting to say in His timeless truth to His people? And the fact that it often fits the the context is, of course, the divine inspiration of God. I especially love the lectionary. That's why we uh, have been following the lectionary in the last uh, decade or so, because it allows us to have texts that are chosen by the Christians worldwide, and all Christians are studying these uh, together, and they're based upon the Christian year and God's story and his truth, rather than perhaps my hobby interests as a pastor, where I like to talk about certain things, so I might preach about them more often than even God's word would, would draw them to our attention, or even to be governed by a current events, as though current events today are somehow different from what God has been saying in his timeless way uh, down through history. And so although we don't do it uh, very often, uh, it is obvious that human relations is the primary topic of Scripture itself. Uh, From the very beginning of Adam and Eve and their relationship with God and with each other, and then Cain and Abel, their sons who, who were so broken that they actually killed one killing the other, we have, of course, the families of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the twelve disciples, the body of Christ, and so on. Throughout Scripture, it's always talking about relationships. And we even call the Wesleyan theology the relational theology because we are called to love God with all our heart, our soul, our strength, and mind, and then to love others and to appropriately love ourselves. And that is core to how we live the Christian life. And so it's very very appropriate that we would talk about the topic of love and human relations and reconciliation at any Sunday, but today is especially appropriate. I know that as you uh, watched and read the events of of Ferguson and of New York and of Paris and uh, throughout the world and the struggles between nations and Israel and Palestine and and all of the different things that are happening with ISIS as we studied last summer, and it's only increasing in its in its presence. We seek as Christians to find God's love in all of this. We as his people listen closely to all people involved in all sides of any kind of conflict, because every human being is of infinite worth and we want to know what is happening in their experience of their earthly journey as they're attempting to live a life of meaning and of purpose and of love. And so when we come to the scriptures today, we we recognize that the Bible has always told us there's a righteousness, a a right way of being in the world, and there's an unrighteous, a, a wrong way of being in the world. And so Paul's words to us today tell us that we are to be about this purpose of being ministers of reconciliation, that we are to be about the purpose of of being involved in the world and and healing the world. It's, it's both a part of our pre-Methodist tradition, but it's our Christian DNA uh, to, in fact, uh, try to bring harmony where there's brokenness and, and disharmony. Now... Not all of you were in the service a few Sundays ago, just before Christmas, when Isaac stood up in our time of praises and prayer requests. But he said something that really uh, spoke to all of us who were there. He spoke about the fact that in this whole experience of the struggles that are happening and everyone trying to come up with solutions and everybody's giving what they think needs to happen, that no one's talking about love. No one's saying we need to need to change the very hearts of the people that are involved. And that is is a true statement. And it is a true statement that we as God's people want to bring into the discussion, into the solutions. Uh, there are often people who, as human beings, try to turn to the political realm and think if we just had a different leader in the position or... If we had more education or if we passed some new laws and required people to at least act loving, even if they don't love each other. And certainly we recognize that when we attack and kill and slander uh, one another, that we're, we're not going to have peace on earth. And so we've got to change the very heart of individuals. And that's the very core of the issue. It's the core of the Christian message. It's the gospel that, in fact, we can become new creatures in Christ and we could actually love an enemy. So peace is only going to come when the human heart is changed. When our relationships begin with God and end with love in this great family of God amongst all people, of all nations, of all different stripes, colors, economic level, educational background, and culture, It has always been so. Uh, That ministry of reconciliation that we're going to study today was given to the church 2,000 years ago, long before our current circumstances and the things that, that we now are applying it to. So whatever progress or regress we've made within the culture of the world, the message of God has always been extremely important. That love, as Pastor King said it this way, Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. In his Nobel Peace Prizing acceptance speech of 1964, he said, Nonviolence is the answer to the crucial political and moral questions of our time. The need for a man to overcome oppression and violence without resorting to oppression and violence. Man must evolve... For all human conflict, a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to start with the 11th verse. And we'll go through the 21st. Paul writes, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, and that's the worship and honor and awe and majesty of the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. Now keep that open before you, and let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us as human beings to look at what can be seen and then to trust in what is seen rather than what is eternal. What comes from you, this love that is an eternal reality. Each one of us want to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. We want to do what is righteous and right in the world. We want to, out of the good hearts that you have given us, be a part of the solution that truly changes the world. And so be with each of us today as we uh, stop and think about what it means for us in both our, our, our personal and our public lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The change that is necessary for humanity to survive is to be reconciled with God. For some reason, it is not obvious to people who study peace and nonviolence and civil change That they listen to Pastor King and they want to understand his techniques without bringing his God into that formula of peace. For it's only as God changes the human heart that we are going to have peace. And it's only in that moment of reconciliation that in fact we experience the fullness that God has for us. It will not work for us to sit the policeman and the young man down and teach them nonviolent techniques. We must, in fact, change the heart of the people that are involved in our communities and in our world. And it has to begin with our own heart, mind, soul, and strength that we are transformed by the power of God to truly love every person without qualification because they are created in the image of God and they are our brother and our sister. That is why Paul ends with the deepest truth when he says in verse 20, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But this righteousness the Bible speaks about is not so much a theological or theoretical term. It is, in fact, living in a right way every day in all the various moments and circumstances of our lives. King said it again, when the time is always right to do what is right. That is righteousness. I made an insert for you of some of Pastor King's thoughts on the things that we need to actively work on changing. He calls them the triple evils, poverty, racism, and militarism. Now stop and think for just a moment now as we continue. I want you to, your mind to start thinking in those three categories. What is the right thing to do to change poverty in your own action? What could you do that would be right to change racism? What is doing the right thing when it comes to militarism? In other words, what is the right thing to do to change evil in all of its public and its personal aspects? One of the interesting things about being a pastoral counselor is working with good-hearted people who love each other but don't quite understand certain things to get along well. And so I will perhaps teach the skill of resolving conflict and reconciling in conflict and having a true apology and truly being able to to change the, the relationship. But I also find that there are those who come in for counseling who don't really love each other. And I can teach them how to resolve conflict. I can give them the skills that work when you love each other to work through the difficulty. But what's interesting is if they don't really love each other, they don't use the skills and the techniques that are needed in order to live together in harmony and in peace in that relationship, whether it's in the home or the workplace or with their children or with their neighbor or with their business partner or whatever it is. They, in fact, choose wrong ways of acting. Not because now they don't know what to do, but because they choose not to do it. And it causes now a whole different level of relational difficulty because... They know now what they should be doing, but they don't do it. And now the relationship is harmed at an even deeper level because the veneer of good intention has been taken away. They must and we must all begin with the heart, with the mind, with the soul, with the strength, with our doing. We must love God. With everything, and that involves a whole experience of ongoing uh, time with God in all the various ways we've talked about silence and solitude, and prayer and worship, and Bible study, and service, and celebration, and fasting, and all the things that help us to connect and grow and become a, a mature spiritual person. And then to bring that presence of God into our relationships with others, where even those who would make themselves our enemy, we express God's love to them. It is not about human nature, which we often talk about, well, that's just human, that's the way human beings are. Yes, in their fallen state, human beings can deeply harm one another, but that's not what it means to be restored in the new creation to what God created us to be. And it's in that place, of course, that that reconciliation takes place. Now, that's the message that Paul says. He says that you and I are now ambassadors, that we're now ministers of reconciliation in a broken world where human beings are not living together in peace. Our mission is to be about the purpose, and it's both in our political will and actions as well as in our private ways to be right and to be just, to be true, to be loving, to bring reconciliation where relationships have become broken. So the question is not a theoretical one. It's not a theology we believe and we talk about when we're in the safety of sanctuary it's the way we are meant to live every day of our lives and all of the circumstances of our lives. And it's not even a fringe one where, well, yeah, some Christians are good at the ministry of reconciliation and some have other gifts. This, this isn't a matter of, of any of us uh, being exempt from living the life of love and righteousness. The ministry of reconciliation is the ministry of being Christian. They'll know we are Christians by our love, not by the size of our churches or by the, the activities of our uh, missions. It's got to be by the love of God's people as we express it as a central call in our lives. It's no coincidence, of course, that both Jesus and Dr. King died in their 30s. We're speaking a ministry of reconciliation to a world that oftentimes is threatened by righteousness. We all recognize it. It often causes us to stop and think, you know, if I don't, if I don't raise my head too high, I won't get into the danger zone. I can keep myself uh, just going through life in safety. But the mission of reconciliation is one to walk into the fray in some way. And what does that mean for each of us might be unique because each of us have a unique place in the relationships of this world. But we're all there and we're all side by side in the march toward the freedom that God intends for every human being. Again, as King reminds us, the great biblical principle that everyone can be great because everyone can serve. There is a basic Reality of the service that we can do to God. So the question that, that we want to ask ourselves is what is God calling me to do? Let's, let's think of those, those three areas. What is God asking me to do about changing poverty? What does that mean for how we serve those in a weaker economic position? What does it look like as we assist them? As we ask for justice? As we allow people who work to have enough money to live? How, how do we serve them? And what is God is asking us to do in changing racism? What does it mean for me, for you, to serve the other races? Whatever race you are, what does it look like for you to listen and love and share your heart and future with persons of all races as you are become one in spirit and in body and in mind, in soul? What changes in the way that we talk or think are necessary in order for us to not express a racial prejudice? What does God ask us to change? And what is God telling us to do about militarism? and That default of using violence and fear and power and force in order to enforce one side's uh, position in the human relationship. What changes need to be made in our relationship with others? What changes need to be made in the larger uh, way of doing life? that we uh, share together within our nation and within our world. And why is it that we tend to trust in violence more than in the love that God gives? What is it that causes us to trust that which can be seen as in a weapon as contrasted with that which cannot be seen as in the loving heart? The tendency, I think, is to focus our attention on techniques in all of this. I to look on the outside and see from the world's perspective and what would the world do in order to solve this. And then we get caught up and paralyzed in fact, because the world is paralyzed in figuring this all out. Oftentimes it points fingers and blames and tries to say it's the other's fault and that defeats us. Paul explains it very clearly when he says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. As we go to God in prayer, I would encourage us to look beneath uh, the worldly point of view. The question cannot be, is it safe or political or popular? The question has to be, is this right? Is it expressing the righteousness of God in this specific situation and in the whole in which we share life? What fulfills righteous ministry of reconciliation? is the call that God places upon each of us and upon the church as a whole. So let's listen to God and let's respond to his silent voice.